Welcome, everyone. I'm Kim Christensen, and this is the Peaceful Productivity Podcast, where I share strategies to help you get the most out of your time and feel better in the process. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Peaceful Productivity Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Christensen, and I wanted to talk to you about a subject that I think about a lot the topic of motivation. The reason I want to talk to you about it today is because I was recently asked a question and it sparked a lot of interesting conversations. So I wanted to share the question with you today and some of my thoughts on it in case it's helpful for you. So the question that I was asked was, how does one motivate a group of volunteers? This person who was asking the question went on to say that When you're in an organization, you have the opportunity to fire someone if they're not performing, but you really don't have that same opportunity when it's a volunteer that's not performing in a volunteer organization. So their question was essentially, how do I motivate someone when I have no authority to fire or incentivize them? I refer to this line of thinking as extrinsic motivation. It's the idea that we can modify someone's behavior through either rewards or threats. It's kind of the if-then thought process. If you do this, then I will do this. In the old days, this was known as the carrot and the stick approach. Regardless of what we call this idea, It still persists even in today's work culture. However, the problem with extrinsic motivation, regardless of whether we're in a corporate setting or a volunteer organization, or even if we're in a family setting, is that we can't make anyone do anything that they don't want to do. We can give them all kinds of incentives or even threats, and short of forcibly moving their body in the desired direction, We can't really get someone to do something they haven't decided that they will do. The reason why is that every action, every behavior, this is preceded by a decision. For example, if I want to write an article, first I have to decide that I'm going to sit at my computer. I decide to open the Word document and I decide to start writing. And even when the words that I'm typing are flowing and it all feels automatic, there are decisions that are being made just below the level of my conscious awareness. So when it comes to extrinsic motivation, we can give people all kinds of reasons to make decisions a certain way, but at the end of the day, the decision still rests with them. It's kind of like trying to get a toddler to eat or sleep. Any parent of toddlers knows that even when we are operating from the best of intentions as parents, we can't get them to chew and swallow the food or close their eyes and switch their brain into sleep mode. And that's why it's so frustrating to be a parent. We have years of experience on our side and we think if you would just do as I suggest, then you would be better off. And yet they still resist. So whether we are dealing with kids or adults, 
The myth that we tell ourselves is that we can change their behavior. And from my experience, this is the source, this story that we tell ourselves about the ability to change or influence someone else's behavior. That's the source of much of our suffering. We believe that if we can just find that one perfect incentive or that one thing that really strikes fear into their heart, then we can get them to do what we want them to do. And we tell ourselves, really, it's for their own good. Sometimes their behavior actually aligns with what we want, which then just fuels our thinking that we are actually influencing their behavior. And then we get to take credit for it. But at the end of the day, they still made the decision to act based on their own thoughts and feelings. And it just happened to coincide with what I wanted. We don't make decisions in a vacuum. We don't even make decisions rationally. We make decisions based on our own mixture of thoughts and feelings. And the more pressure that we feel to do something in a certain way, the more likely we are to resist that particular course of action. We know this intellectually when we reflect on our own experience. The more someone else wants us to do something, even when it's in our own best interest, the more likely we are to resist. So if this is the case, if we can't get someone to change, even when it's in everyone's best interests, how do we coexist with those on our teams, in our families, in our organizations who aren't going in the same direction that we are? Are you just asking us to watch someone behave whichever way they want, even when it's not in the best interests of them or the group? My suggestion at this point is to shift from a focus on extrinsic motivators and focus on intrinsic motivation. Intrinsic motivation are those thoughts and feelings that fuel our actions internally. It's a shift in focus from what motivates other people and shifting and thinking about what motivates me. The interesting thing about intrinsic motivation is that we start to realize how challenging it is to change our own behavior. And so I always offer that as a great place to start because if we can't change our own behavior, if we can't motivate ourselves, then it's especially challenging to motivate and inspire other people. So when it comes to intrinsic motivation, I like to offer a bit of an experiment. And we can do this experiment right now. When you think the thought, I don't want to do this, whatever this is, what do you feel? You could even think of a specific task, something maybe that you've got planned in your schedule. So in this very moment, when you think the thought, I don't want to do this. What feeling comes up for you? Maybe it's going for a run, doing some exercise. Maybe it's starting a new project, checking email. Whatever flavor of I don't want to looks like for you, what is that feeling that comes up when you think about that next task? And if you're thinking, I don't want to do this, the feeling that usually comes up for me is something like dread or resistance. And from dread or resistance, 
typically the actions that I take from that place are procrastination, avoidance, distracting myself with something else, rationalization, telling myself that it's better to do this particular task at a different time. So productive action doesn't usually follow dread or resistance. And dread or resistance usually follows the thought, I don't want to do this. Now, if we switch that thought around as part of this continuing experiment, and we think about a task that we do want to do, and we actually form the thought, I do want to do this, what is the feeling that comes up as a result of that when you actually believe that thought? So thinking about something that you do want to do, thinking that thought, even in this moment, what feelings come up for you? When I think I do want to do something, well, usually it's not even at the level of my conscious awareness, but the feeling that comes up when I'm looking forward to something, when I think I do want to do something, I can't wait to do it. Maybe I'm telling myself I get to do it. Those feelings are anticipation, maybe even excitement, optimism. I feel pulled or even compelled to move in that direction. I'm interested. I'm engaged. The list goes on. So what are the feelings for you when you're thinking about some task, some activity, and you're thinking, I want to do this? It's an interesting experiment because what it shows is that with a small tweak in thinking, a small tweak in perspective, we can fuel ourselves to feel pulled in a certain direction towards an activity that we really want to be doing, or we can be pushing against it just by how we're thinking about it. So what we notice with this experiment is that how we're thinking about a particular task really can influence the level of motivation we feel. And you'll notice that our frame of mind, what we want, really does influence our feelings, motivation, decisions, and actions. So the question becomes, what do you want? I think this is the best place to start, whether you're looking to motivate yourself or motivate others, is starting with this question. What do you want? Over time, we might have stopped asking ourselves this question, if we even asked ourselves that question at all to begin with. There's such a cultural bias towards taking care of other people and thinking about what they want and influencing and supporting them that we often forget to look at what it is that we want. And it's even viewed as selfish. We forget to ask ourselves what we want, focus on what other people want, and then layer on top of that all the things that we're supposed to do, the things that we should be doing. And we've got a formula for becoming very disconnected with our wants over time. So if you're feeling unmotivated and you've kind of lost touch with what it is that you want, I will encourage you to take another look at that and continue to look at it on an ongoing basis because these things can change over time. 
So if you're feeling like your life has become a bit mundane, a little bit like running on a treadmill really fast but going nowhere, feeling like every day is the same old routine, if you're stuck in a bit of a rut, I guess, that's a perfect time to step back, zoom out, and ask yourself what it is that you want. And if that question feels daunting and overwhelming, you can even narrow it down and ask yourself, what do you want for today? What lights you up? What brings your joy? What type of activities do you actually look forward to? That's a great place to start when it comes to motivating yourself. I also think it's an amazing habit as well to continue to ask yourself what it is you want and why. I'll give you a great example of this. I was working with a client and he had created a project. It was in his personal life and he was creating a celebration for a friend. And with the constraints of the pandemic, he was feeling very much constrained in the way that he was going to be doing this celebration. And a lot of thoughts around, I am supposed to do it this way. I should do this. I have to do this and was feeling a lot of pressure. So we talked about what his motivation was for creating the celebration in the first place and what he wanted for his friend and why. And he was able to tap into some of those original motivations for creating this in the first place. And what he arrived at was He really just wanted a celebration that celebrated and demonstrated to his friend how much he cared about him. And when he was able to get back to that original reason and tap into that intrinsic motivation, a lot of the busy work and the stress and pressure around the project fell away. And when he was able to remind himself of that original reason as he came up against roadblocks, as we inevitably do, he was able to navigate those roadblocks quite easily and keep going. And that's a great example of tapping into that intrinsic motivation, particularly when you run into roadblocks and obstacles. Thinking about what it is that you want, your reasons for doing it, and why that's important to you. I'm often reminded of Daniel H. Pink's book titled Drive. When I think about this topic, he talks a lot about extrinsic motivation and motivating others. And I think the concepts that he talks about in terms of motivating others can also be applied to ourselves and motivating ourselves. And once we learn those concepts and apply them to ourselves and learn what best works for us, we're much better equipped to lead and support a group towards a common goal. The three principles that he offers in the book in terms of motivating others are mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And I'll unpack each one of them individually, and I'll demonstrate how you can apply those to yourself and then lead and inspire others with the same principles once you've learned how to motivate yourself. So the first one is 
mastery. In this book, he talks about a study. He calls it the candlestick study, I believe, in which people who are tasked with something a little bit more complex or requires more critical thinking, for those types of tasks, what was found is that people aren't necessarily motivated by reward. However, when the task is more straightforward, when the steps are known in advance and it's simply a matter of executing on those steps, that's when rewards work really, really well. And so the principles that I'm going to talk about here, the mastery, autonomy, and purpose are more around motivation over the long term for tasks and work in our economy today that are more complex, require more critical thinking, require the application of knowledge. For those types of longer term tasks, these principles work really, really well. So if you have a project that spans many months and has a lot of moving parts, you might like to try some of these principles. Mastery is that feeling that I am making progress. I am working towards something and there's enough challenge to keep it interesting, but not too much challenge that I feel overwhelmed. So the way that I use mastery to motivate myself is I do think about the long-term results and outcome that I want to achieve. And then I reverse engineer it. I work backwards I break it down and I put it into very manageable steps. Once I've broken it down into those manageable steps and those tasks become very straightforward and routine, I like to build in some challenge for myself. So a great example is my daily run. So that habit of running every day has become very routine and could be (laughs) very mundane by some standards. And yet what I'll do is I will challenge myself to do better than the previous day or to achieve a certain milestone on that day. And that gives me enough challenge to keep it interesting for myself and yet not too much challenge that I want to throw in the towel and not do the run at all. So mastery is really, really important and integral part of completing a longer term project because it gives us this sense of movement, of progress, of a journey that we're on comprised of many, many steps towards a destination. The next one is autonomy. Autonomy is so important for all of us humans I think the best parenting advice that I ever got was to always offer my daughter a choice, no matter what age she was at. Anyone who is a parent or knows a parent or is an aunt or uncle or caregiver in any way knows that when we get tired and we default to that old standby, because I said so, that's the same moment we're in for a whole world of resistance. We're setting ourselves up for a bit of a tug of war. However, when we give choices 
to others and to ourselves, that's when we still have movement towards the destination, but we have autonomy on how. So I'll give you an example. So I'm at the bottom of the stairs with my two-year-old and the goal is to get to the top of the stairs. The choice that I give my two-year-old is do you want to walk up the stairs or do you want to get carried up the stairs? And I can apply the same thing to myself. Do you want to run outside today or do you want to run on the treadmill? Do you want to run fast today or do you want to run length today? All kinds of choices that we can build into those daily tasks that give us some choice, a sense of autonomy over how the task gets executed. And finally, the last principle from the book is purpose. There's this feeling that there's a point to what I'm doing. I feel like I'm contributing, that this is helping either myself or someone else. And in order to find the purpose of the task, we have to go back and ask ourselves why this is important to us. Zoom out to the bigger picture to find the purpose of the work. I'm often reminded of the story about the janitor at NASA. When asked what the purpose of his work was, he responded, I'm helping to put somebody on the moon. Whether it's cleaning the closet or manning the controls, there is a bigger purpose that can feel very compelling to us as we go about our day-to-day activities. And to find this purpose, we simply need to ask ourselves why this is important to us. When I ask myself that about my work as an accountant, something fascinating that I found is that as an accountant, I am helping people make effective decisions by affecting the quality of the data that they receive. So as an accountant, I gather up all the financial information. I present it in a way that's consistent and comparable with other information so that the people using that information can make quality decisions. The interesting thing is that my purpose as a coach is also to help people make effective decisions. I do it in a slightly different way by asking them questions to offer them insights and different perspectives to better understand the data that's being delivered to them by their own thoughts, feelings, and interpretations. However, at the end of the day, I am also supporting people to make effective decisions. That was a very fascinating realization for me. So if we loop back to the original question, which is, how do I motivate others? And we flip that around and ask ourselves, how do we motivate ourselves? We get all kinds of interesting and useful data in terms of leading and supporting others towards a common goal and leading and supporting ourselves towards a goal. What I'd like to leave you with today is the inspiration that it is possible to motivate yourself and rekindle that motivation, even when it feels like your life has gotten into a bit of a rut. Start by asking yourself what it is that you want and why that's important to you. Have a great day, everyone. And for anyone looking for information on how to create more peaceful productivity in your life, please visit my website, 
financialwellnesscoach.ca. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.